Hi there. This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's word and the ministry of the Spirit. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor and all the adoration because there is no one else like you. We searched all over. We couldn't find anybody else because there's nobody greater than you. There's nobody greater than you. There is no economy that is greater than you. There is no institution that is greater than you. There is no civilization that is greater than you. There is no currency that is greater than you. There is no famine that is greater than you. Nobody greater than our king and our God, than our judge, than our lawgiver. No one greater than you. No one greater than you. And it is with that acknowledgement in our hearts this morning that we raise a sound of praise and adoration unto you. Because there is no one greater than you. Thank you, Father, for sustaining us up until this moment in time. We do not take it for granted, your generosity, your benevolence, your kindness towards us, your mercy. They never fail. Father, we are grateful. Even as we have acted by faith to gather together in your body, in your church this morning, to learn at your feet and fellowship with our brothers and sisters, we ask that your abiding, sweet Holy Spirit stays in tabernacles here in our midst causing understanding, revelation, knowledge to break forth in our hearts and causing us to be established in this present truth in the name of Jesus. As I open my mouth to speak, I speak as an oracle of God and I minister according to the ability that the Lord gives so that God receives and retains all of the glory from now till forever. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are praying. Anyone who knows is more than a conqueror in this house. Anyone who knows is more, you are more. You're more, you're, you're more, 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 come on rejoice, give the Lord a big shout of praise, glory to Jesus, amen and amen, glory to God forever, amen, Woo! glory to God. Hallelujah, what a very powerful, supercharged worship session we just had. Can we celebrate the beckoners? God bless your hearts. Thank you so much. Amen. So there are two dimensions to the compliment your neighbor receives today. Beyond the smell, there is a look. Amen. So you can as well give that compliment right away. You smell God and you look so good. Glory to God. Smell God and you look so good. You can have your seats in God's presence. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Are we excited to be in church this morning? Amen. So the Lord showed me a vision last week. It was a vision of a storm. It didn't look very pretty. That's why I'm starting off with it so we can get into the main business of the day. But the Lord will have me share this with us. Right, um, there was a storm, and there was a lot of water, and um, there were two categories of people in that storm: people who could swim and those who could not swim. Those who could swim, some of them refused the life jacket, and those who could not swim had no other option than to receive the life jacket. But those who received the life jacket survived beyond those who could swim. Amen. What does that tell you? There is ability and there's mercy. Ability is your capacity to swim. Now in this economy that could be symbolic of the storms, 
and the waters are overwhelming, and it looks like, well, I have savings. Well, I have a good job. Well, you know, I have good people around me that can sort me out whenever I need. And that can be akin to your ability to swim. It's still your ability. So whether you can swim or you cannot swim, we all need life jackets. Amen. Because there is a limit to how much you can swim by your strength. And I thought it was a very powerful illustration for how we must approach this season. You cannot afford to approach this season in your strength, in your might, in your capacity. You must approach this season with a humble approach for mercy. It is only by mercy we will prevail in this season. So whether you have the most remarkable portfolio of investments or not, it may matter little in the long run. In the long run. In the short term, you may be fine. But in the long run, it may matter little because you can't survive by swimming alone. You need something beyond your capacity to swim to keep you afloat. And that's why this season you must seek God's mercy. And it's with a humble heart. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart. Leaning not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledging him. So that he directs your path. He organizes your life. Organizes your shadow. Organizes your finance. Organizes the relationships around you. You ask for his mercy. Let his mercy be the conductor and the director of your orchestra. Don't give an unorganized sound to the heavens. Ensure that God is one organizing your sounds and the things you're giving off into the atmosphere so that angels can be on alert to receive promptings from the realm of the spirit, all right, prompted by your moves. Praise the name of the Lord. Because I tell you the truth, in this season, there will still be miracles of supply. Yes, Amen. In this very season. In fact, the miracles will be more astounding because that's how God works. All right, that's how God works. In the season of famine, that's when flowers multiply. That's when oils multiply. In that season of famine, praise God. Because he loves his people. But he's looking for people who will hope on his mercy. Those that will hope on his mercy. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 from verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, all right, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, and I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When thou passeth through the waters. When it comes to sin, the Lord uses the condition if. <laughs> Praise God. But when it comes to trials, tribulations, adversity, times of economic downturns, he uses when. Amen. If you sin, you have an advocate to the Father. But when you go through fire and through water, all right, he's given a promise here. Because it's a matter of certainty. You shall go through trials and tribulations. All right, and that's quite the season we're in, both as a nation and I imagine as families and as individuals under God as well. But we have a lifeline. We have a lifeline. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. So the bigger promise is not God supplying your needs. The bigger promise is his presence being with you. The bigger promise is not that the fact that he says, you're going through this, don't worry, um, you will come out of it. That's not the bigger promise. The bigger promise is, let me see the water that will drown me and God together. Hallelujah. Let me see the fire that will burn me and God together. The biggest promise is not the thing that you're going to get out of a season. The biggest promise is the fact that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Whether you're in water or in fire or in high places, it doesn't matter. I'm with you. That's the bigger promise. I will be with thee, and through the waters, or through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee, they shall not overwhelm thee. 
When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. The way the Olobojaes walked through the fire and the waters. Amen. Because I was listening to their session, brilliant session, by the way. Can we celebrate the couples? The Olobojaes and the Oladunjoes. When, the Bible says, when, praise God. When you go through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior, I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee, therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. Praise the name of the Lord. These are the promises to tabernacle around and meditate on in this season. Right? You're going through fire, through water. This is not a time to compete on how much heat you're going through. Don't be competing on, ah, he's down and he's small. If you see what I'm going through. Shebi, you still had Gary last night. Me, it was air. I just breathed. And I was full. <laughs> you know, we're just trying to compete on how terrible things are. Let's, let's, let's honor the Lord. Let's exalt him in this season. This is a season when your worship will mean a lot more to God. It's in this season your worship will mean a lot more. So in this season, you want to exalt the name of the Lord. In spite of, God, you're good. In spite of, God, you're amazing. God, you have been so good to me. In spite of. This is not a time you want to concentrate on how bad things are. This is the time you want to concentrate on how big God is. David said, exalt the Lord with me. He says, let us exalt his name together. He said, magnify the Lord with me. Because sometimes it looks like God is kept at the hindermost part of our lives. He said, Ex expose him. Bring him to the forefront. Let us magnify his works. Let us exalt it. Let us make a big deal of what he's doing. Let's make a big deal of it. Let's talk about it on the mountaintop. When everybody's talking about there is a casting down. Listen, the reality doesn't just change for you just because you're special. It begins from the things you're saying. You're magnifying the Lord instead of magnifying the problems. So when everybody's saying, oh my God, there's a casting down here, there's a casting down there, you are lifting the Lord up. Could you be lifting God up and you don't go up with him? Hallelujah. You're lifting the Lord up. You're exalting him. You're adoring him. You're extolling his mighty name. And as you're doing that, you're going above the realities of the storm yourself. That's how it works. So don't concentrate on all the things. Don't binge on news that will dampen your spirit. Don't binge on realities that will dampen your soul. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord. You're not alone. He has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man, economy, full price, FX rates will do unto me. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. So be encouraged. Alright? So tell your neighbor, be encouraged. Hold them strong like an encourager. Hold them very well. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Praise God. Are we ready for God's word this morning? Were well, you encouraged by that? Amen and amen. So, um, Buzz Unit, my co-preachers, let's have the slide on the screen. Amen. I'm not going to ask for a vote if this should continue because it will not. <laughs> Praise God. This is the last time, at least for now. It's a lot of work. Can we celebrate PI, please? It's not, 
It's not beans. <laughs> Praise God. All right, so last week we shared exhaustively on how to love your partner thoroughly. You know, the first time we talked about how to love true. The second installment we talked more about how to love thorough. All right, how to love indeed. How to express that love in a way that your partner cannot miss it. All right, so these are some of the highlights from last week's teaching. That a relationship is God-ordained does not mean it is immune to crisis, dysfunction, and separation. Number two, the Christian philosophy rests on two legs, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of men. Number three, good marriages belong to the resilient, not to those who are able to receive from God. No, that you can receive is just half of the solution. You need to commit to the work required. You need to be resilient. Even when you're seeing things in your partner that are not good enough, commit to doing the work, to encourage, to build up. And it begins with your mouth. Do you only focus on the things that are not so good about them? Or you ascribe value on the things that are good about them and you continue to build them up? That's how the Lord washes the church, by the washing of water by the word. He doesn't come and say, you sinners, you are just filthy rats and stuff like that. He tells you what he wants you to live up to. He says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, be holy for I am holy. You're a peculiar nation. You're a holy people. He tells you what he already believes of you and he wants you to live up to. And that's how you wash your wife. That's how you wash your husband. By the washing of water, by the word. You need to be committed to the work. So good marriages belong to the resilient. All right, number four, the opposite of love is not hate, but pride. Because everything love is, pride is not. Praise God. Then listening, lastly, is, the, is a crucial, or rather, listening is crucial to the survival of any relationship. And if you listen to the Loud and Joyous and the Olobojais this morning, one of the things you would pick up from their conversation is the fact that they had to pay attention to what the other party was saying. You can't just be insistent on your own. You are two people in this relationship. It's not a person and a tool. No, you are two people. Two people with different opinions, different ideas, different perspectives. And if there's going to be any forward movement, any progress in that relationship, there must be a collaborative, mutual understanding. And that is impossible without listening. You've got to listen. It means you believe there is something meaningful in their head. There's something meaningful they have to say. So listen to it. When you brush aside their thoughts and their opinions and you just insist on your own, your marriage will become a victim of your own skewed tendencies. Because what happens, the idea of marriage is for two people who may have strengths and weaknesses typically to come together so that the weaknesses are nullified. So areas of your strength might be areas of my weakness. Areas of my strength may be areas of your weakness. Now that um, we can both be strong in all the areas that we both have combined. Rather than we being a victim, for example, if I'm alone, I'm a victim of the fact that there are some areas that I'm not good at. And if I'm only dependent on myself, then I'll become a victim of my weaknesses and my deficiencies. And that goes to you as well. Then God brings both of you together. Like, like we shared, I believe that was, yeah, early last year, all right, on the Love and Wisdom series. Where I was talking about how that your partner is your rep, R-E-P. She's your reflection, she's your extension, and she's your perfection. Praise God. And so the areas of your strength most likely are going to be areas of our weakness. The areas of your weakness are most likely going to be areas of her strength. And so when both of you come together, if one party is too dominant over the other person, even in the areas that the other person has strengths, that person's strength cannot come to the top to complement your weaknesses. And so even though the family benefits from your own areas of strength because you are dominant, the family also is weakened by your own area of weakness because you are too dominant. 
So areas that are, you know, the parts of your relationship that are weak and are exposed to vulnerabilities, when trials come to tempt and to poke at it, it is you that still comes forward to, uh, you know, to address those situations. But you are weak in that area. And so the family becomes the victim of your deficiency in those areas. And that's why you must listen for the strength and for the things that this other person has so that she can bring it into that marriage and both of you together can then be an approximation of perfection. That's the whole idea. And so when you don't listen, you are shortchanging your own self. A leader's ability begins from understanding his limitation. Any leader that thinks he can figure things out by himself is too weak to lead. That's the first thing a leader must understand. What do I have? What can I do? What is the capacity of everybody around me? How can I delegate? How can I bring the best out of the people around me? Then I, I would allocate them responsibilities, authorities. Then I would only focus on the things that I'm strong at. I would delegate, I would inspire, I would communicate a vision. Then I would galvanize the team to achieve a lot more than I could ever have achieved on my own. That's the whole idea of leadership. So God looked at Adam and said, it is not good. The way you are doing it is not good. You can't be by yourself and it is good. You need to understand your limitation so that when it comes, you realize that that good part has come. Praise God. So it is understanding your limitation. That is where leadership begins from. But you see, interestingly, especially in Africa, a lot of us assume that leadership is supposed to be perfection. So the moment you're a leader, you should have answers to everything. You don't delegate. You can do, you know, six packs to every problem and try to box it out. And you are weak in those areas. And you are not able to admit it humbly and vulnerably that these are areas that I don't have much strength in. I'll need you in this area. It ascribes value on that person. But how could you when you assume that you are all strong by yourself? And listening is one of those manifestations of humility in your relationship. Where you ascribe value to the other partner and you give them the respect that they deserve by listening to them. Listening to what they have to say. All right? Paying attention to their own contribution. Praise the name of the Lord. So those were the things we learned last week. So the title of my teaching primarily is Love Prevailed, just in line with the fact that we're talking about loving through. That is loving for a long time. Amen. Amen. And that's why the subtitle of my teaching is The Laws of Longevity in Relationships. Amen. Amen. The Laws of Longevity in Relationships. How many of you are scared by the thought of spending over 60 years with one person? Be honest. 60 years. 50 years, 40 years, with one person, one. You have spent two years so far, and you're like, hey, <laughs> hey, oh. <laughs> 39 years on top of this, <laughs> 52 years, you know. But that's the plan of God. That's the objective of the creator. Amen. That's the objective. And we're going to be learning how to love through, through and through. Praise God. The laws of longevity, five A's. I'll be sharing with you this morning. Five A's. The first law is the law of acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. To acknowledge is to account for your knowledge of a person. That is what it means to acknowledge, to be aware of, to observe, to take note of. That is what it means to acknowledge. All right, to acknowledge is to be aware of, to take note of, to recognize. All right, a quality in a person by means of observation. Now, you have not started ascribing value. You are just recognizing what is this person? Who is this person? What does this person have? Good, bad, just put them all together. That is acknowledgement. Your ability to acknowledge the qualities in others significantly, however, depends on your ability to acknowledge yourself. 
Now, if you're familiar with emotional intelligence, you realize that the first domain of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. You can't possibly be socially aware if you're not self-aware. You see, it is on the strength of your self-awareness that you can sponsor social awareness. If you're not self-aware and acknowledge the things that are inside of you, remember the teaching series we did on goodie bags, Philemon 1.6, that a communication of your faith is made effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. When you do not acknowledge yourself, you are bound to, to sell yourself short in the market. You're bound because you don't even know the reference points. You don't know what you're bringing to the table. You don't have anything to bargain with. And that is why a lot of us have spec list of people that we are looking for. We don't have a spec list for ourselves. You don't have a standard you are working towards. Because you are not a spec list on somebody else's table. You're not. Because you've not even come to, what, what do I have? Who am I? When someone is looking for a spec list, will I come as a search? Will I come as a profile that matches this spec list that somebody else might have? We are just looking for spec lists that we are not. Imagine I have a spec list, you are that spec list, you have a spec list, I'm not the spec list. I'm looking for you, you are not looking for me. If I find you, you say, God forbid. Because I'm not looking like the spec list you have. So the whole idea of finding a person rests on your understanding of yourself first. Self-awareness. What do you have? What are the qualities you have? What are the tendencies you have? What are your proclivities? Your personality? What are you? When we say, you know, what do you bring to the table? It's always to the other party. And what does she bring to the table? What does he bring to the table? You! If we bring you to the table, how broke will the table be? Think about it. We must begin from self-awareness. Because the challenge is that when you're not self-aware, what happens is that you are very likely to exaggerate people's qualities. Or undermine it. You are never likely to be objective. Because you are supposed to be the reference point from which you either effectively evaluate someone to be better or inferior. But when you don't even have a reference point, you are bound to exaggerate people's qualities because there's no reference point within there. There's nothing that you need to objectively assume because you've not even learned how to ascribe value on yourself. How could you effectively do that on somebody else? So when you evaluate yourself, the you that you have been with for the past 25 years, 30 years of your life, you don't have a proper estimation of your own relative importance then you really think by meeting someone for a couple of months, you can figure out their value relative to you. You have not finished knowing yourself. How could you ascribe value on something else and it be accurate? Imagine somebody that lives in an organization or works in an organization. He's been there for 10 years. He does not understand the ins and outs. Then it's someone that comes into the organization for the first three months that you expect to have a better understanding of the value. Because no matter how fantastic and smart a consultant is, he cannot just enter an organization and know the value. He has to ask questions from those who have been in there, who have been there from the beginning, who spent, who expend, who invest, who do all the budgeting, who understand the historical data. I can't just ascribe a value on something that I'm not familiar with. And so this whole, what do you bring to the table? What if I tell you I bring so-so and so to the table? How could you tell that I do? Or you're using metrics that are really not in alignment with God's will? To ascribe if I have those things that I say that I will bring to the table? What gives you that impression that I'm being honest with my assessment of my own value? You've got to be familiar with what you have. 
acknowledgement. And it is on the strength of your self-awareness that you can sponsor social awareness. If you do not know who you are, you will sell yourself short on the negotiation table. And so it begins with knowing who you are, having respect for yourself. Enough of looking and desperate for someone. How about you position yourself under God like I was sharing last night? Instead of positioning yourself for somebody to recognize you. That desperate positioning shows that you would only attract a positioner as well. Positioners attract positioners. Do you think there were not several ladies that were positioning for Boaz? Do you know how rich this guy was? He had a, a conglomerate. He had a very fantastic industry. He was leading. This guy was solid. He doesn't get more solid than Boaz. Many ladies were positioning. He saw them. He walked and passed. Because he had not found the person he was looking for. Praise God. Position yourself under God. Have self-dignity, self-respect. Understand who you are. Understand what you're bringing to any table. Understand that, in fact, if nobody comes, you are a table enough. By yourself, you are full. By yourself, full of God's word. Full of a purpose in life. Full and understanding of God's word. Full of God and the identity of God in Christ Jesus. You know who you are. You are so full. You are so rich. You don't have to fake it. You have it. You don't have to position anything. Anyone who comes around your circle understands that there is value in here without you even trying. Because you have filled yourself with so much value. You're not trying to walk up anything. It's in there. Praise God. And so it begins with self-awareness. So it's the law of acknowledgement. Having acknowledged yourself and understood who you are, then you can ascribe a value and acknowledgement on the other party. Because the challenge is that a lot of people, at the point of breakup, forget, literally forget every good thing about their partner. The only thing they're focused on, the only thing that is before them is all the deficiencies, all the weaknesses. They don't acknowledge all the good things. It is after the breakup, then there will be a need that would remind them of what this person used to feel. And they're like, ah, I miss. While you were in that relationship, you only flogged him for one deficiency he, he had or one strength he did not have. And you only made, you now made him suffer for that one thing. And you don't realize that he was also coping with you. You didn't realize that. He only ascribed a lot more weight to the good things in your life. Praise God. And so you need to first learn to acknowledge. When you acknowledge and you acknowledge your partner, you're able to put you know, a lot of weight because that then leads to the next law. It's the law of appreciation. It's the law of appreciation. But before we go there, okay, there is something here. This, I don't know how long this will take me because at this level, I don't know if I'll be able to go beyond this point. I hope God will give me utterance and grace to move quickly along this line. All right, the next law is appreciation. But before I get into appreciation, there's something we need to deal with. There's a sacred cow. Amen. So I have my tools here. I'm about to kill it. Now, there is a world of difference between visibility and priority. I need to come down for this one. There's a world of difference between visibility and priority. And because we are human beings, because we are very naturally oriented by nature, we tend to place priority on visibility. Whereas there is a lot more value on the things that are not visible than the things that are visible. So as human beings, you tend to put a lot more emphasis on the looks of a lady as a guy. How many honest men do we have here? Can you raise your hand? Honest. I mean, you don't see a woman's spirit first now. 
You are not a demon. You are not an angel. You will see our body first. You will see our face. So, as far as visibility is concerned, the body precedes the soul. The soul precedes the spirit. These are the three corridors of acknowledgement. When it comes to meeting someone, the first thing you meet is their body. Because you are not an angel. You are not a demon. You will see their body first. Then when they start speaking, you begin to have an access into their soul. They start speaking, you start engaging in conversations. Then over time, you see the content of their spirit, man. Over time. Praise God. If God is showing you someone's spirit the first time, he's not likely going to be a good spirit. He's <laughs> evil spirit. If God just shows you something, you are meeting the person the first time and you are seeing the person's spirit. Ah, it's a warning. <laughs> Usually, over time, that is when the good nature, all right, tendency of that person becomes apparent to you because you first meet at the outer court, then the holy place, then the holies of holies. You don't start from the spirit. You start from the body. But you see, over time as well, we now see people ascribe priority on the visibility. So because the body comes first, it does not mean it is first in weight. That it is first in sight does not mean it is first in weight. Are you listening to me? And this is where the mistake of a lot of people, this is where it starts from. They put a lot of value on how the person, I see that chick. Ah, I could date that chick, sir. You don't know whether she can even speak well. But you've seen her. You, you know, there are guys, they'll see a lady on the street and they'll start following the lady. I, I could talk to this babe today. I could, I, you, then you, you now speak to her and say, hello. Why wash it? Ah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Now, what happened was that you got to know another dimension of her that reduced the value of what you had seen before. <laughs> So the value you saw in the soul diminished the value in the body. So you now say, ah, no, this is not the deal that I was, I'm not that serious about this intention. Don't worry. Right? But usually some people, after engaging the person in their soul and all that, they still feel like, this person, I vibe, I vibe. They go for the first date and the vibe is there. And they're not paying attention to the biggest part, which is the spirit. And then they're like, man, this person is amazing. This person is the best thing. Because what you don't realize is that the first few months of your relationship, you are entering into organized environments. An organized environment do not put pressure on the true nature of a person. Organized environment is doctored. See the way you're all dressed now. It's doctored. <laughs> you're going on a date. You look good. You smell good. They don't know you fat anyhow. <laughs> I speak to a person. <laughs> and then the person does not know that. That all this is organized. Organized. It is over time, pressure to what? Then the real thing will start coming out. So time is very important in the entire test protocol, like I've shared in the first one. So the challenge is that we put a lot of priority on visibility. Then after spending time with the person, you now say, ah, I can't do this again. What happened? The person didn't become less beautiful. In fact, the person may have become more beautiful. In fact, you may have spent more money on the person. In fact, you have a lot more to lose now. This is three years down the line. You want your investment to go to waste, but you are still now more willing to lose the relationship after all this investment because you saw part of her that you can't imagine that you can live it for the next 20 years. You're like, no, I, I, it's, it's enough. So the spirit then becomes dominant over time. The Bible says, 
an evil woman will pull down her own house with her words. With her words. It doesn't get more spiritual than the words you speak. It doesn't, what kind of words comes out of her mouth? What kind of words comes out of his mouth? Does this person ascribe value and worth to other people apart from you? Do they speak kindly to people? Are they kind? Are they warm? Are they really good people in their hearts? Or they just make, they treat you so well. But you don't know the day you will be at the receiving end of their wrath. You don't know the day. You don't. And that is when their spirit will come forth and you realize that in their spirit they are fools. Because the Bible says, wrath lies in the bosom of fools. So these are the three corridors of an acknowledgement. You first get to the corridor of the body, then you get to the corridor of the, of the soul, before you get to the corridor of the spirit. But you see, the value begins in the realm of the spirit from the spirit. You put more value and premium on the spirit than the soul, than the body. And I created a, an interesting framework to explain this concept. Are you ready? Let me, let me, let me go back here. First Peter 3, 3 to 4. Excel, leave. We went to Excel. <laughs> But let's, let's read first bit of... <laughs> it was serious. Excel. Praise God. First Peter chapter 3. Bible says we need to be like God. Bible says in verse 3, Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparels. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. Adorn your hidden man more than you adorn your body. There's nothing wrong with adorning your body. But let the premium and the, the priority be on the hidden man of the heart. You cannot afford to be finer on the outside than on, in, on the inside. Because over time, it is the person on the inside that your partner will live with for the rest of their life. Are you going to be making up, wait, making up every midnight? Is that how you will be sleeping? Waking up? You leave the bathroom, you are made up. That's, that's not the person the person will leave us with. This is all doctored. You show this to the world. Your partner sees every little bit of everything. And that thing he sees and she sees every day had better be beautiful. The hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart. God is saying put the premium on where the premium ought to be. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Bible says in the sight of God. That's the first thing he sees. Bible says it is of great price unto God. If Samuel, one of the most accurate prophets that the Bible ever recorded, was impressed by physical appearance. Oga, you need to understand that you can be easily deceived as well. Samuel saw Eliab. Ah! After he saw Eliab, he said, behold, the king of... All trance, straight. Start there speaking. God said, I've rejected him. They brought him before. Can you imagine? God had examined him way before Samuel saw him. Now the person you are embracing, God had rejected her since. I love you. I can't sleep without you. God had rejected her since. God saw the hidden man of the heart and rejected her. God saw the hidden man of the heart and rejected him. But you're like, oh my God, Eliab. You are my Eliab. Now, I name be Priscilla in, in the flesh. No, I, it can't be Priscilla. Because my wife's name is Priscilla. <laughs> Maybe Angelina. Hey, okay. <laughs> I name it Priscilla in the flesh. Now, as I mentioned Angelina, what is recording in heaven is Eliab. Eliab. This is an Eliab. I have rejected Eliab. 
Because I've observed the hidden man of the heart. I've seen he has, he has not passed my test. But on the outside, he looks perfect. Head and shoulders taller, ribbed body. This guy wears the armor, boy. The photo shoots. Ah! Just imagine that Eliab wears the armor and is walking into the palace. Eliab the king. This guy was perfect for the job as far as outward appearance was concerned. But that is not what kings require to last in their office. It is not by chest or muscle. With all of Saul's chest, he couldn't face Goliath. Eh? He was head and shoulders taller than everybody in Israel. He saw Goliath that passed him. He sat down and started giving orders. He said, I have a bounty for anybody that will kill this boy. Anybody that will kill him, he started giving orders about, oh, he will give up half of his kingdom. You are supposed to be the one leading the charge. What are you sitting down asking for somebody to come and bail you out for? With all your height. You are taller. I mean, I mean I w- I w- imagine the way people around him would have been looking at him. So with all your height, everything. It's one 17 year old boy. See, some ladies could not now keep quiet after the old thing. Say, now, wow, eh? For this land where we did so. Eh? Saul is killing 1,000. Chicken boy there is killing 10,000. <laughs> it didn't damage his ego. <laughs> he couldn't handle it. But that's what you get when you put premium on physical appearance. That's what you get. That's what you get. And I believe what God did with Saul is a type of what we. He's trying to explain to us when you look for a king in the flesh, you get souls. He will give you what your heart is looking for. You want a beautiful, fine girl, dressed down, gorgeous, everything. You will get it. Then you realize that he's not a David. You will realize. You will realize. Let's get a guy rich, solid. And this is not to demonize being rich. This is not to demonize being handsome and being fine. But priority, premium, weight must be placed on the most important things. Attitude, character, the hidden man of the heart, the meek and quiet spirit. Because when David is on the throne, nobody can defeat him. He has killed every, he has has fought every fight for the future. Solomon, he didn't carry a single sword in his entire reign. David had beaten everybody. Anybody that wanted to rise from the dead. And remember David, oh my God, he would die again. That was David. He was a terror. He killed everybody that needed to be killed. Solomon had nothing. Because this guy, you can't defeat David. That's a king. And what sustained it was not his, his sword skills. It was his heart. The quality of heart that he had. He maintained that office with integrity. So much so God bequeathed the throne of Israel to him. Bible says by covenant of salt. Nobody can take that throne from him. Even in heaven, it's still called the throne of David. The keys of David. What? What a man. But at the beginning, Saul would always look more impressive. At the beginning, Eliab would always look more impressive. But we need to be careful. You're asking for a king. You're asking for a husband. And that's why you've got to be careful about all these platforms where everything is doctored. You're positioning yourself. You look for the most appealing, sexy profile picture so that the person who has also doctored his own image is the one that will now find you attractive. I mean, it's all doctored. The hidden man of the heart cannot be seen through a profile picture. They can't. (laughs) It takes time. It takes time. Praise God. Are you ready for Excel? (laughs) So, put the priority on the hidden man of the heart. That's where 1 Peter 3, 3-4 comes in. 
Now, let's talk about this for a bit. This is the Godly Attractiveness Framework. Amen? Are you ready? Now, you may not see all the figures, but I will try to take you through the entire narrative. Now, there are five quadrants here, or five frameworks here. Now, there could be more, because there are a number of iterations that you can put on each of these. But the idea is this. There are three major metrics, spirit, soul, and body. In the mind of God, and I'm using my own church mind as the mind of God, okay? Now, in the mind of God, the spirit carries a bigger weight, which is five. Look at that. Weight is five. Spirit carries the weight of five. Soul carries the weight of three. Body carries the weight of two. Total point, ten in terms of their composition. And out of the 10, 50% is spirit. Five. Put soul and body together, they're still just about what the spirit can command alone. Now, optimals. That means whatever anybody scores relative to the spirit, you multiply it by five. So optimals, 25 over 25, nine over nine, three times three, two by two is four. So if I had everything, that's 38. Are you still with me? So it's like mass, but if you don't like mass too much, just be praying in the spirit. The Holy Spirit will be interpreting it for you. <laughs> now, imagine a person scores four as the spirit is concerned. That means this guy is a mature person. Mature. You can't be perfect and without need for growth. So that is why there is a four here. Because he's mature, he's sound, he knows God's word, he's led by the Holy Ghost, fruit of the spirit is dead, check, all right, blood washed, tongue speaking, amazing guy. Four over five. So... What is total score would be, is what? 20, because you multiply that 4 with the 5, the weight. So it's 20. Now, on that soul, this guy is also very sound. But because there's always room for improvement, he gets a 2. Very sound guy. You multiply that by 3, so he gets a 6. Now, on that body, this person is super attractive, right? Or, yeah, attractive. Let's just say attractive. So he gets a 1.5. You multiply that by 2, you get a 3. You put all those additions together, you get a 29 over 38. Remember, that's the total optimal. And then you get a 29 over 38, and that gives you 76%, which is A+. plus. This is the five-star brother. Amen? Now, look at that. This is an ideal situation in that sense of what everybody should be looking forward to. But this is not hardly the case. Now, this person here is the most tempting for especially church brothers and sisters. And I'll explain. So, there is... The spiritual side, this person is a babe, spiritually immature, and still sometimes even unsaved. Someone may not be saved and thinks he's even saved. <laughs> I put like that. I got to church, uh, I am actually saved though, but they are not saved. They've just been going to church and they are babes. They are very nephews. They are babes, spiritual babes. Now, in their soul, they are very average. They, they, they are very prone to deception. They don't really put a lot of premium on their thoughts and the quality of their thinking. They don't read wide, all right? And they're not that driven when it comes to growth in their socioeconomic realities, all right, with respect to mental transformation. They don't put premium on books. They put premium on, on wigs and sneakers, so that I, I balance it. <laughs> so wigs and sneakers you get, or games, all right, and, and makeup. So they don't put premium on intellectual discourse and stimulating conversations. So, one, one over three. But body, ah, that body, super attractive, model. This guy, model, the lady, model. 
The challenge with the body is that even though it's perfect 10, as far as the body is concerned, multiply it by 2, it's still 4. In the overall assessment of this person's capacity and evaluation, this person is still a 4. As a matter of fact, his 4 does not remove him from the F category. He is perfect in body. She is perfect in body, but he's still an F in the final analysis. The person that has perfect body, the person that has uh, no body, the person that has super attractive body, it does not particularly impact on the overall assessment of their evaluation. 32, 26, 39, it's the F. Are you with me? Now there's this guy here, he's growing, growing, he's, he's growing in spiritual things. So he's not as mature as this one, but he's driven, comes to the church, he wants to learn. He falls once in a while in sin, but he picks himself up again, listens to teachings. He's getting better. He honors his pastor. All right, he listens in church. He's not distracted during teachings and sermons. He's growing. He's getting better, all right? He comes early to church, okay? And he's accountable. He's growing. He's sound. He's attractive. This person still gets a very big price or final evaluation of a, of a B plus, which is 60. Is that 68 or 63? Okay, that's 63. 63. Do you know that if I change 1.5 to 2, it will change to maybe like 68. It still doesn't rim, it doesn't, so body does not change your status. In the final analysis, 1 or 2 or 0, most likely you will live where you have always been. In the final value that will be ascribed to your person. But just up this one small. Up your spirit by just one. It can change the stratosphere of your evaluation. It can just change it. Just by growing. Just growing a little because spiritual things are eternal. You can't put the e. Spirit is not body's mate. When a man is growing in the spirit, see, he's worth a thousand men. When a man has grown in the spirit, he can become anything God wants him to become. Because he's so attentive to his spiritual man. The hidden man of the heart. God can lead him. God can lead him. God can, he can flow in the gift of the spirit. God can lead him to heal. He can lead him to preach. He can save a thousand souls for God. He can write for God. He can, he, he can do anything God needs him to do. Because he's nimble. He's subjected to the father of spirits. And his spirit is very much alive. The reason why those people are having F is because under their spirit, look at their score. The score is one. The score is one. The score is one. Now, of course, there are several other tables you can form out of this. You can change this three, for example, to two, and see how it impacts on the final score. You can change it to 2.5. You can see how it impacts on the final score. And you realize that at the end of the day, the body does not significantly improve on the final assessment of the person's evaluation. Another important thing we need to pay attention to is this. When the spirit is sound, the soul should not be far behind. Understand that. When a person's spirit, when a person is spiritually minded, you know, it's funny, because spirituality is inside the mind. <laughs> Bible says, do not be carnally minded. Remember, there was this five steps I was going to share with us several Sundays ago, but I only got to share two. How many of us remember? There were three more things that I wanted to share, but I couldn't. One of those three is spirituality is of the mind. When a person is spiritual, I will know from the quality of your words and the 
quality of your reasoning and where you draw your inferences from, your references, the ideologies you run by, where does it come from? Does it come from the ideologies of the West, the woke West? Or does it come from God's word? Does it come from God's word? And so that is why if someone ranks high in the realm of the spirit, ideally his soul should not be so far behind. The spirit should drag the soul along. Praise God. So the, you can't be sound spiritually and be a weakling. Intellectually, emotionally, mentally. Because you are only being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when a guy comes to you and he ranks high in the spirit, which means he most likely will rank high also in the soul. But on the body side, there may be some kinks there. Understand that over time, the body will catch up. Understand. Over time. Though our outward man perishes, our inward man is renewed day by day. There can be so much power in that person that, see, that body will become so attractive, you will be wondering, why did you think this person was not so fine? Because the same way, remember that lady that you heard what she said, and it diminished the value of her body. In the same way, you can get to know someone so much spiritually and emotionally, and then it appreciates the value of their body. Where you're like, this person is fine. And people are like, are you sure? Are you not seeing what I'm saying? Because you have spent time with that person. The person's value has appreciated before you. And this is the mistake a lot of people make. They ascribe a lot of weight on the body. So if the person is a two, they just go forward with the two. And they don't check for the soul. It is over time when they realize the soul and the spirit, they realize that they were low marks, that they realize that this person is an F brother, is an F sister. And they're like, ah, well, F times E, what will it produce? <laughs> right? Because that's not what God wants to do on earth. He wants to produce solid believers, disciples. A brothers, Philip, Stephen, Peter, James, John. These are the kind of brothers God wants to raise in the kingdom of God. Like I said yesterday, please. The objective of God is to make sure that if you even crisscross and you close your eyes and you pick a brother, it will still be the right brother. If everybody in church is a proper disciple, many of the marriage classes will stop. The problem is that there are a lot of Christians that are not Christian. Yes! A lot of disciples are not discipling. The discipling is not working. They are not giving discipleship. <laughs> Let me say it well. They are not giving it. You are a disciple, but you know the things you do that is not disciple. What's the word? It's not disciple-like. And you call yourself a disciple. In the early church, they wanted to serve tables. Tables. Bread. Meat. Fish. Meat pie. They said, bring men that are full of the Holy Ghost. Men that can turn Samaria upside down. That was the quality to serve tables. Average Christian in the church. These were evangelists at the highest level. The first martyr belonged to this category. Stephen. Solid men of repute. Honest men. All this, give me a husband or I die. Show me a picture. Show me his picture. Let me see. It will reduce. It's because there's so much confusion and deception. You don't even know. You need God to validate. If, if everybody in the church was a Stephen, for example. How can you marry Stephen and not be blessed? He will die for you now. <laughs> Amen. 
that's Stephen now. He will literally die for you because that's Stephen. That's an average brother in the local church. That's a Samaria. I mean, that's a Philip. You say, yeah, there's something wrong. He said, come, let me talk. As he's touching you like this, you are healed. A brother, average brother, serving tables in the church. That was their capacity. If everybody in the church was a proper disciple, many of the conferences addressing issues in marriage will literally just die a natural death. People will not be coming for counseling again. Everybody will just be living solid marriages. Because each individual person is a solid Christian. This whole idea of positioning for marriage is not, un, it's not godly. Be a Christian. It is a higher rank to be a Christian than to be married. Did you hear what I just said? There's a higher rank in the realm of the spirit. Being a Christian over being married. You marry an unchristian spouse and see how much peace you will have in that marriage. The Bible says a man would rather live with ravens on the roof of his house than live in the same house with a contentious woman. He will leave the mansion he built, go to the roof, sit down there, say, how far now? Give the pigeon some beans and seed. I say, see life, oh. <laughs> see, that will be consoling him. He would rather be on the roof of his house than live in the same house with a contentious woman. You don't want to gamble with someone who is not spiritually mature. Or at least growing, making the effort to become better. Who can apologize when he does wrong? Who, who can be sorry sincerely? Because there are sorries and there are sorries. Your boss will say, sorry has male. It has female. There is Bajen Simi sorry. That the ego is too loud in the sorry. This cannot be sorry now. Sorry should be given with humility and soberness. Why should you be this aggressive with sorry? There should be sorry you want to hear. Take it. People like that. And then it's over time you realize that, no, I placed the wrong priority or the priority on the wrong things. And this is a framework that can work. Now, of course, this is subjected to your own estimation, but if you are going to be honest and you plot a graph, you can see where this person lies. You can just see it. It's like, ah, okay, this is growing. That's a B. We can, we can do, it can move from B to A because the priority is on the growing spirit. So as long as the spirit continues to grow, this B can become A eventually. And we continue to grow from there. But if it is one, and remember, this is where motives come in. And motives are hard to change and explain. And if this person never changes for the first 10 years, what happens to my life? I would have a, an F grade of relationship, one star. If there's even half, I would have put it there. Half star of a marriage. So the objective is to be a good Christian. Being a good Christian is already interviewing yourself for relationship and for marriage. That is it. So this whole positioning, as if marriage is the price. No, Christ is the price. Being like Christ is the price. That's the ultimate goal. Because your marriage will rise and fall to the degree of your Christianity. Yes, it would be elevated to the degree of your mature Christianity or fall to the, the level of your degraded Christianity. That is, your marriage is only a combination of two Christians. If two of you are not well taught and you are disciples and are actual Christians, where would the forgiveness come from in that relationship? Where would the patience come from? Where would the kindness come from? These things are fruit of the Spirit. Where will it come from? And is there any marriage that does not need all those elements? None. Then there will not be issues that you will go to social media and then you will not be recycling partners. And stop practicing these things even as a single person. By, by practicing breakups. And, and making it a, a norm. No. 
Because listen, the moment Mary said yes to Joseph, God activated the protocol in heaven. They had not gotten married. That's for all of you that are saying, Shibi, I'm not married to you. This honor you are looking for, this honor. You are not, not my husband. The moment, all right, Joseph proposed to Mary, and Mary said yes, God activated the protocol that cannot afford a breakup. Because the moment they break up, what happens to the baby in the womb? Do you think, I have stopped this before. I can't, there are just several teachings bombarding me right now. Mary was not chosen because she was fine and because she was a virgin. That's not why. She was chosen because she was betrothed to Joseph. Because Joseph came from the tribe of Judah. She came from Benjamin. What made Jesus Davidic is not Mary. It is Joseph. So the moment she aligned with the right man, God said it's time. I don't know many virgins in Israel. What made her the one that was chosen? Because she was the one that was connected and aligned with a man from the tribe of Judah. Imagine she had now gotten the conception of Jesus Christ and said no. Say, after all, I'm the one carrying the destiny. It's because of him you are carrying it. And then he possesses and says, it is my... No. Even that relationship recorded in heaven. And when God was going to refer to Mary, to Joseph, he kept saying, your wife. They had not legally married. He said, take your wife. So whatever you will not do, of course, apart from sex, all right? Whatever you will do in the marriage, you already should start practicing it in relationships. And the only way that makes a sustainable sense is when the right priorities are placed on the right things. Spirit first, then soul, then the body. Amen. So we've talked about the law of acknowledgement. That's the first law. Wow. Wow, wow. Ooh. The first law is the law of acknowledgement, so we'll try to run through the rest. Then there's the law of appreciation. There's the law of appreciation. Acknowledgement precedes appreciation. Because appreciation is to consider for value, worth, and contribution. When you are considering someone more deliberately, consciously, what you are doing is you appreciate. Actually, appreciation is not like a growth. A lot of people use appreciation in the context of growth. When you are growing something, you know, you are appreciating in value. No, that's really not the right context for appreciation. Appreciation is to see what the value has always been and then ascribe that value to it. When I am appreciating someone, I'm seeing the person for the full breadth and length and height of their contribution to my life, and I'm trying to place a lot of premium on it. That's to appreciate. Appreciation must be tied to value and not mere feelings. Notice that when someone is body-minded, they tie appreciation to feelings and not value. This is why a, lady, a guy meets a lady, and the only thing he's complimenting is her body, is her smile, is how she looks. There is no value there as much. Yes, thank you for all the compliments. But if all you are doing is, ah, you just fine, you just fine, I'm getting worried. Why is that all you are saying about me? I have a personality, I have a walk with God. I love God, I love people, I want to serve humanity. Why is it every time, the 90% of all your compliments are about my body, how I look, my dress, my makeup, my everything. I'm getting worried. It shows that your priority is on the least important thing, the body. And what attracts you is most likely an indicator of who you are as well. That means also if I evaluate you as well, your body will rank highest. That means you can spend 250K on a perfume, but you don't pay your tithe. I won't say more than that. <laughs> Appreciation must be tied to value and not mere feelings. Appreciation with, without value is what? 
flattery. How many of you have been to parties before? All this band. They don't know you from Adam. They've, they don't know you. They just need your name. Hey! <laughs> so what's the name of that man? That man, you his name. I just collect your name like this. Whoa. They will hail you to the highest levels. They'll start singing all those their songs, mentioning your name, putting all kinds of orikis around it. And your head will be swelling and be giving value to them, giving money to them. And all they needed to do was to inflate your ego and blow it so big, and they don't even know you. How could you accept appreciation from someone that does not even know you? That is where flattery comes from. Ah, you big, see, you, you make sense. What do you mean? You are you fine, die. What do you mean? Die. <laughs> Appreciation without value is flattery. And this is why it is easy to know flat, flattery. When someone is flattering you, it's very easy because you know yourself. You know you have not contributed this much value. Why is this person shouting and hailing you like this? What happened? You saw me in car and I borrowed. <laughs> You're not hailing. Oh, God, oh, God. I don't, I don't own this car. If you saw me in Keke, will you, will you hail me like that? So, you know, we have people like that all around us. Hail you from now till forever. No evidence of value, but they're just hailing you. So appreciation must be tied to value. So when, after you have acknowledged the, the greatness and the component of this person, the contribution, and you appreciate it for what it really is, then you communicate that appreciation. And you tie it to value. This is why on people's birthdays, don't just say HBD, a king was born. Which king, where is his kingdom? Where, even that one is not, where is his kingdom? Is a king was born. A king of what? Do you understand? Talk about people's value, what they contribute. That is actually what is going to make sense and meaning to them. Because they can tie what they have done to the value they are appreciating. You're not just saying, ah, if you see, if you, what exactly? Tie it to value. Flattery needs no evidence. Because when I'm flattering you, I don't need evidence. I'm only looking for what I'm looking for. And I will say everything that I think you need to hear to release what I'm looking for. Flattery is so self-absorbing. But that is what the other person thinks least of. The person that is flattering you is not thinking of you. The, the person doesn't even know you. They're only thinking of themselves. And they know that flattering will do something to you that will make you release something towards them. Haven't you seen people at those parties, they will hail you, hail you. You don't give them money, then they start insulting you. Ah, that's happened though. They'll say, let me give you this lapel. Take it, it will look good on you. Hey, I don't want lapel. They will hail you, ah, Baba, call me, Baba, call me, ah, this, ah, ah, you do this, you do that. Say, I don't, I don't need lapel. They'll say, ah, oh, God, oh, ah, oh, and I'm like, you, you were not interested in me. It was all about what you wanted. That's always the objective of flattery. If someone is flattering you without evidence, without value, it's a sign that they just want something for themselves. And if you see a guy, all he does is flatter you, tell you how beautiful you are especially, how this, how that, and there is no real, you know that these things he's appreciating are not real worth appreciating. There are bigger things to you than the things this guy is appreciating. There is something he's looking for. There's something she's looking for. Oh, you're so generous, and it only comes when you take her out. Oh, you're so, you're so, and it's all tied to things that perish in value and worth. Amen. Flattery needs no evidence. That's a law of appreciation. Then there is a law of affection. There's a law of acknowledgement. There's a law of appreciation. And then there is a law of what? Affection. This one is important, especially for the guys. 
Affection is appreciation in motion. Affection must affect the recipient. Amen. So you can't just be appreciating with text and boxers. Amen. See, his love language is word of affirmation. As I just send him text, that is all he needs. That is not all he needs. There are other things he needs beyond just, you know, a good boxers and a solid text of how he's a king. All right? It's not... Affection must affect the recipient. Without affection, there will be tension. It is toxic masculinity to forbid yourself from being vulnerable. Did you hear what I said? I was watching a podcast of Shaquille O'Neal recently, and he said he has never been vulnerable before any woman in his life. And he said it with so much boldness in front of other guys. And I'm like, these are the guys discipling all these toxic masculinities we have in the societies today. And the red pillars, I'm sure you all know who I'm referring to. You know, you have to show strength, muscle, and you know, you, have, you don't ever show any form of weakness or vulnerability to anybody, not even your partner. And this guy made it clear, nobody has ever seen him cry. And you see, it is, it is a sign that people plan to cheat. And I'll show you. Because you think, you, the, the real idea is that they can't trust the person. This person is not permanent. So why should I be vulnerable to someone that will not always be there? And the reason is that you can be vulnerable for someone, you cry for the girl or you cry in front of the girl, and then tomorrow now she'll use it against you, and then we'll deal you a blow below the belt and you know, bring it up when you're having an argument and she'll just throw it at you and all that. And so you lose the relationship and then you don't go to the next lady. And by the time you've gone through a couple of ladies and you've had that kind of experience, you will make a decision to never be vulnerable again in your successive relationships as well because you don't plan for any one of them to be the last. You intend to continue like that. Because ladies are not reliable. You just have all kinds of weak and dysfunctional ideologies about ladies or about men. And it makes you less vulnerable whenever you meet with any of them. It is not from God. It's not from scripture. That is not how to show strength as a leader. By faking strength. Faking strength is not strength. Jesus cried, not privately. This is the greatest man that ever existed. He cried publicly. Especially around ladies. Two of them, Martha and Mary. He cried, not even because he wasn't going to solve the problem. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet he cried. I believe strongly one of the reasons he did that was to kill that sacred cow forever. That uh, strong men don't cry. Jesus cried. And guess what? There was no explanation in front of it. Jesus wept. Full stop. And he went, he moved on. Shortest verse in scripture. I don't have to explain. The fact that I wept is enough to release you forever. Don't ever feel, you know, you have to be faking a front. You can cry before the woman that God has brought into your life. It doesn't show you're a weak, a weak man. Except you're not sure she's the one for you. We're talking about alignment and accept. We'll get there eventually. Can you be having your bath and close your eyes from the rest of your body? I say, ah, my eyes must not see my other parts. Do you do that? Because you have become one. So whatever the eyes is seen in the body, it is to the good of the body. When things need to be washed, it washes it. When things need to be avoided, it avoids it. Because the eye preserves the rest of the body. So everything is vulnerable to the eyes. Amen. Whenever you're not vulnerable to people, it's because you have not fully accepted them. And that leads us to the next A. But let's wrap up on this first. Jesus cried publicly around ladies, and that didn't make him a weak man. No man has ever been stronger than Jesus. 
Yet he cried in public, he cried around ladies, and he didn't make him weak. And he never explained it. And I said, actually, oh, this is a mistake. Oh. I just did it for the grandma, please. Oh. I'm actually a strong man. Oh. Whatever you think of him is your business. He cried, that's all. Hold hands, amen. amen. Look, it in, look into, into each other's eyes. Be tender. Be deliberate. Do nice things for each other. You see, especially in Africa, we're not used to this side. Pastor knows am I correct? <laughs> we're not really used to it. The fa- I mean, I don't remember ever really hugging a guy until my pastor on campus, Pastor Tolumudi. Pastor Tolumudi likes to just get very connected with people. The first thing Pastor Tolumudi does to you when you see him is to hug you. And he won't hug you for one minute, or he won't hug you for just a couple of seconds. He won't hug you well, like, you'll be like, this is not comfortable. <laughs> Honestly, God used him to heal me. Honestly. Because we're not used to it. Affection is, we can sacrifice. But to be affectionate, it's not our thing. The man must just sacrifice, go to work, go to the mountains and the valleys and rivers, bring the spoil home, distribute it, go back again the next day. But to be affectionate, to carry the child and put on his lap, to kiss, all those things, his baby, he can't do it though, because they didn't do it for him. How will he do it? So back on campus, Pastor Tolumudi would tell us, look into your neighbor's eye. I used, to, I used to avoid that part of service. Just before we leave service, Pastor Tolumudi would say, grab your neighbor by the hand, look into your neighbor's eye. I would say, Lord, help me. And as you are looking like this, your heartbeat is racing. And you are like, Pastor, can you get on with this? And that's when you will now stay like Pastor Ewa. He will just stay there. <laughs> he will just stay there and continue to, and I'm like, Please. But over time, I got comfortable because everybody in church just became comfortable with it. And that's how you practice affection. Some people cannot hold hands to save their lives. So what, what, what is it? What is it? <laughs> Be affectionate one to another. Affection is what? Appreciation in motion. So don't just appreciate with text and word. Be affectionate. Buy flowers if she likes it. All right? Hold hands in public. Look into each other's eyes. Be tender one to another. Listen, the temperature of your relationship will depend on the exchange of affection. I'll say that again. The temperature of your relationship will depend on the exchange of affection. I hope you don't call your wife by the name of your child. Say, Baba Gbero, Mama Gbero. Daddy. Some people can relate to what I'm saying. <laughs> Mommy, that is, oh my God, like. And the only things you guys talk about, have you eaten? Will you eat? Where should I bring your food? Can you, come on. Let, your, let the temperature of your relationship be hot. Be in a hot relation, hot. Not cold and frigid, hot. Hot. Hmm? And I'll get to the next one because there's something important we need to touch on. Oh, my God. Are we getting blessed? We need to run. The next one is the law of acceptance. The law of acceptance. There is acknowledgement. There is appreciation. There is affection. Then there is acceptance. The law of acceptance. Acceptance is the full identification with another person. Acceptance is where loyalty and fidelity are forged. When people don't accept another person, they will cheat on them. 
you can't hurt yourself deliberately. If you have not become one with that person, you will cheat on that person. You will separate yourself from that person. You will preserve yourself at the expense of that person. You will not be empathetic towards that person. Acceptance is where loyalty, because acceptance is where fighting for your partner comes in. Someone wants to hurt her in public, hurt him in public, or hurt her reputation or his reputation, you fight for it because you have come to accept her. Because it almost feels like you have been insulted yourself. Whenever something is happening and someone is desecrating the church of the living God or desecrating pastors, and there is nothing in you that is zealous to fight, it shows you have not accepted the church. It shows you've not accepted God as your father. It shows you've not accepted the church of the living God. You've not accepted your own local assembly, your pastor. That's what it means. You fight for the things you are loyal to. You fight for it. Because you have accepted those things. And when you accept, you are fully identifying with that person or with that institution or with that church. So full acceptance can only be sponsored by revelation. Some people can never understand this. I don't know for some reason, but they can't understand it. They can't understand that somebody you met three, four years ago is now the most important woman in your life. They can't understand it. They can't understand that your mom, as beautiful and as amazing and as sacrificial and as gorgeous and as good and amazing as she is, revelationally, your wife is not number one. Some people cannot deal with it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And both of them shall become one flesh. And they shall be naked and not ashamed. Because they have received themselves, not by blood or by the will of man, but by revelation, by the will of God. Revelation is stronger than blood ties. I'll say that again. Revelation is stronger than what? How were you born again? Because your father is Abraham. Is that how you got born again? That's the reason why some people in the Jewish land are still not born again today. They put a lot more premium on biology than revelation. We are children of Abraham. God will come for us. Then Christ is coming in the flesh and they don't even recognize him. Because they are so all about biology and the blood ties. But there is something called revelation. By faith. They that were born, not by the will of man or by the will of anybody or by blood, but by the will of God. And as many as received him, to them he gave power to become sons of God. Even as many that believe on his name. They were born by the will of God. And the Bible also makes it, makes it clear. I believe 1 Peter 1, 23. That you were born again, not by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed of God's word that lives and abides forever. Glory to God. So when you see that woman, you receive her by revelation. And that's why the first thing Adam did was to speak revelationally. He didn't have a father, but he said, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Where did he get that from? It came from above. The same way Peter spoke by revelation. That was how Adam spoke that day. He saw his wife and he spoke by revelation. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. How can you be hiding from your own bone? Hiding from your flesh? Separating your account. Not... Of course, I mean you can have separate accounts, but there's no need to be separating information about your respective accounts. That's what I mean. I think having a single account is, you know, trying to force and co as unity. Anyways, if you get what I mean. Um, but my point is, you need to accept that person. And there's something really powerful that comes from acceptance, and I'll show you very quickly. One of the evidences for acceptance in a relationship is a sense of humor. I can tell you for a fact, any relationship that does not lose a sense of humor cannot break. Amen. Sense of humor is golden. And hey, I'm not saying you must be a comedian. That's not what I'm saying. 
To be a comedian, you can even be a comedian and not have a sense of humor. Uh, because sense of humor is not so much about your ability to make someone laugh. It's your ability to appreciate the bright side of life. That's a sense of humor. So let's go to sense of humor for a bit. The ability to see the bright side of things, every one of us was born with a sense of humor, but we're trained out of it. Every child has a sense of humor. Every child. Every child wants to be amused. Any little thing that you don't find funny, they find it funny. They're tickled by it. They're excited. They want you to do it again. You do it 100 times, they laugh 100 times. They have a sense of humor. They don't see things as big deals. But life has trained us out of sense of humor. The heat in Lagos. How can you be laughing in this heat? The, ah, don't you have shame? How can you be laughing inside this heat? <laughs> the heat is too much. Thank God for the rain that God gave us last week. Can we celebrate God, please? Ah, heat. <laughs> Foil price. Exchange rate. How can you be laughing in this economy? You see, it is maturity sometimes that robs us of these very powerful spiritual elements. A sense of humor. The Bible says you must receive the kingdom like one of these children. And one of the things to get from a child is their sense of humor. They are always, their eyes are open, waiting to be amused. Waiting to be amused. They see the glory in little things. Small things, they see the glory in it. And big deals, they dampen it. Do you see that? It's small things that sort of excite them. The little miracles that God does, they are grateful for it. Then the big things that the devil is trying to do, they just, they demystify it. You offend a, a child, the next moment they are playing with you. No big deal. Life is beautiful. Life is fine. Life is good. Don't need to make it a crinkum crankum. Everything is just very edgy and you are, they will say, see your head. They say, what do you mean by that? They say, something is on your head. They want to remove something on your head. Yeah, I do not know. Hello, day. Have a sense of humor. Be able to poke at each other. Laugh at each other. Make fun of each other. Literally go out to make a fool of yourself before the other party. Just so that the tension can come down. You can drowse some issues that could have metastasized into big issues with sense of humor. Something that could have become a big deal. You just crack one joke. And stop it, Joe. Before you know what's going on, you guys are laughing. And everything is... And then you will now talk about that same issue in a less tense atmosphere. And you will release all the tension in the house. Not that you'll be acting for your children. In the room, you are boxing and fighting argumentatively. And then you come out and you are acting. Yeah, um, you talk to each other. But inside you, there's nothing flowing. There's no spirit. And just like Mrs. Ologbojai was talking about, the peace in your home is an aroma. God cannot be deceived by your acting. When your wife is not at peace with you, your prayers, the Bible says, will be in that. Yes! Just having a sense of humor is 50% of your spiritual warfare in, in your marriage. I'm telling you. Not taking life too seriously. Laugh a lot. Can you just laugh now? Just laugh. <laughs> Amen. Don't take yourself too seriously. Learn to laugh. If you're going to be spending, listen to this one. If you're going to be spending the rest of your life with this person, you can as well start enjoying it. 50 years is not beans. Do you want to really frown for 50 years? <laughs> Enjoy it. Learn to laugh. Laugh a lot. I was listening to a documentary. Because the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17b, 
He said, God gives us all things richly to enjoy, including your spouse. God did not give your spouse to endure. To enjoy, to enjoy, to enjoy. Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. Not just sexually, but enjoy them. Enjoy being around them. Hang out with them. Love their presence. Child, your, your acknowledgement is plenty. Now, I saw a documentary of an aged couple. They have been married for 75 years. Their daughter is a great-grandmother. Mm. 75 years. <laughs> and in that documentary of over just about a minute that I saw on YouTube, they laughed throughout. They were just laughing. That's, that's what has kept them together. They were just laughing. There are some marriages that they don't laugh. The father comes, everybody, to your tent. Israel. The commander is here. The conqueror. The lion. Alright? Learn to laugh. Something happens. I was even reading an article of how if you don't have a sense of humor, see, BP will deal with you. And I'm serious. And this affects even pastors. And because pastors have the tendency of wanting to be serious for good reasons. Because ah, the honor must not be, ah, the honor must be there, you know. You know, so you want to maintain a reputation. And, but see, for your own health, you need to take it easy. Bible says, laughter doeth the heart good like medicine. But Bible says, a dry bone, who can bear it? Look at that. That means laughter and joy and a merry heart. They, they oil the marriage. They oil, they're like oil. They add oil, and that oil reduces friction. And when there's reduced friction, they can't be breaking apart. Things will not be too mechanical because there's oil there. And Bible says that oil is a merry heart, is laughter. Laughter is spiritual warfare. You may not know. There are some things the devil came to do. You didn't take it seriously, and you won the battle. I'm telling you, you just no, it's not big. Laughter. Just to be able to laugh things off. And you just, you just laugh it off. And spiritual attacks can just be dissolved, neutralized. Just rendered impotent. Because it makes you laughing. Laughter is warfare. So in your marriage, learn to laugh a lot. Don't take life too seriously. Don't tight the world to your chest. Alright? Learn to laugh. This 75-year-old in marriage couple. They're not 75-year-old couple. 75-year-old in marriage. All they were doing in that, in that documentary was to laugh. They were just, you know, the lady was poking fun at the guy. The guy was just laughing. They were just having fun for 75 years. I mean, that explains why they had lasted that long. But you see some marriages, even just two years in marriage, there's already too much tension in the home. Too much tension. Everybody's trying to protect the turf. Ego will not let you rest. Who ego? Ep. Laugh. Enjoy yourselves. And you see, sense of humor comes from acceptance. Because when you've come to accept someone, you know you are not going anywhere. We are here together. Where do you want to, you want, you want to leave me here? <laughs> we are here. So there is a sense. It just drowses tension. And the things that could have been offensive before will become less offensive. You laugh things off. You don't make things a big deal. Amen. And the last law is the law of alignment. This is very powerful. Alignment is the full integration of two parts into one whole unit. Alignment is only brokered by purpose, not by feelings. 
Joseph and Mary are perfect examples of the power of alignment beyond feelings. Obviously, we know that Joseph didn't come back to Mary because he liked her so much. He was willing to let go of her privately in spite of how much he liked her in terms of feelings. But then something was introduced by God, which was purpose. Christ then became the purpose of the relationship beyond his feelings. And that purpose is a stronger binder than feelings. When feelings is what is binding your relationship, it's still a weak relationship. But when it is purpose, even when you don't feel good, there is a bigger purpose beyond our feelings. God didn't bring us together because we like each other. He brought us together because there is a greater purpose to our union. That, you, that alignment is powerful. And there is no bigger alignment factor than the purpose of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. When both of you come together to, to increase and exalt his kingdom and propagate the gospel, and the objective of both of you coming together from whatever industries you may be coming from is to extol the name of the Lord and to power his gospel to the ends of the earth. That is the greatest purpose both of you can be coming together for. And there, is, there are people in the house or in the church community who feel like there is this... There is this quest for dominance and domination, patriarchy, feminism. God is none of them. We need to stop this fighting. So there were some people in 1 Samuel 30. David had gone to Ziklag and, you know, collected everything that these guys, the Amalekites, had taken from them. And, of course, a lot more spoils than the things that they had stolen from the children of Israel and David's men. David's men, not children of Israel, David's men. And so he got, he caught all those things and got some more spoils. That is a lot of things, goodies that the Amalekites had put together in the ten spoils. And then he brought them to Ziklag, and then the people that went to David were now telling David that, ah, please, oh, just give these people that, we, we, that stayed behind, give them their wives and their children, and let's share the spoils, since we went to fight the battles. And David said, it shall not be so. Oh, you are speaking like a fool. What do you mean by that? There is no them without us. There is no us without them. This is not a matter of, okay, the people that are waiting behind the stuff are less and they are inferior to the person that is going out to fight. And that may be symbolic of the man going out to make the money and the woman staying back home to raise the kids. And then you come and you are saying, I made all the money. You didn't make Jack. Without the grace on her life, you may not have made that much. I'm telling you the truth. And imagine you had a child and there's nobody at home to, to take care of it. What money are you making for who? It's not to take care of your family. Imagine there's no family for the money to take care of. My point is, David was trying to tell this guy that the fighters and the waiters, they share the spoiler alike. 50-50. And interestingly, there was another part of scripture, Numbers 31, where God had instructed Moses the same instruction. Let's go there quickly. Numbers 31. As we begin to round off this session this morning, Numbers 31. Amen. Bible says... Take the sum of the prey that was taken, both of man and of beast. Thou and Eleazar the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation, and divide the prey into two parts, between them that took the war upon them, who went out to battle, and between all the congregation. Look at that. That was where this law was instituted. Those that went to battle, divide it in two parts. You are not more entitled to the spoil than the person that waited in the congregation tent. You are not more entitled. And David understood the Torah enough to tell this guy, and say, see, that's not how these things work. You share the spoils alike. So you own 100%, your wife owns 100%. There is no, I make all the money here. She also makes all the babies. Does she bear, do, do the children? Yes. Do the children bear the name of the woman? But she made all the babies. I mean, what did you do? Let's not go there. Praise God. So there's no point competing. You make this one, I make that one. No, we are one. 
Fighters and waiters. Let's go back to the screen, please, quickly. The, um, the slides. Fighters and waiters, they share the spoils alike. When the binder is weak, the relation... No, 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 go back. The next. When the binder is weak, the relationship falls apart. The binder must be purpose and not feelings. Now, the reason why the waiters and the fighters will share alike is because the purpose is one. But in order to have that one purpose, we have to strategize and divide our strengths. Some people wait, some people go to the battle. Imagine we go to the battle and we don't come back to a home. Or we only have a home and there is no way to in increase the expanse of the home with fighters. What's the point? So fighters and waiters, they share the spoils alike. There's no need for patriarchy or feminism. There's just a need to expand the purpose of God on the face of the earth. That's a bigger objective. That's a bigger objective. Feelings are a weak binder. Purpose is a strong binder. When the purpose of God is what is binding your relationship, over time you realize that your feelings don't put too much premium on it. Forgive so that the purpose will still be achieved. Forgive quickly because there's a bigger purpose. Not big deal, no, no reason to be, you know, bantering and there's, every, there's just a lot of quarrel in the home. Just always fighting and bickering and stuff like that. Calm down, there's a bigger purpose. You can undermine the birth of Christ if you break up. Because the bigger purpose is Christ that both of you are incubating. Amen. Final thoughts. Find the purpose of God for your life. Partner with that person that God has shown you to be aligned with that purpose. Then love that person with every fiber of your being with absolutely no reservation. Praise the name of the Lord. We have come to the end of the L Triple T teaching series. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for utterance. We thank you, Father, for a deluge of wisdom. We thank you for all the things you have shared with us and shown us through this teaching series. We ask that we are established in this truth and in all righteousness in the name of Jesus. We ask that our homes and the relationships that you would broker in this household, in this tribe, will be reminiscent of your relationship with the church in the name of Jesus. That there will be love, there will be harmony, there will be unity, there will be oneness, there will be alignment, there will be acceptance, there will be affection, there will be appreciation, there will be acknowledgement in our relationships. And to the end that Christ is glorified and his purpose upon the face of the earth is achieved in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for answered prayers. We give you praise and we give you glory. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. What a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Park Point Tribe.